And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar to... goes to... My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Parasite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 183 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Negley, and time of recording, 11.06 a.m. on March 1st. 2020, a day after Leap Year, starring Amy Adams, but not really. I don't know. Apparently, a lot of people were watching that movie the other day. Here to join me today, I have a returning Michael Schwartz. I think the last time I was here, we were predicting Sam Mendes in 1917 for Oscars, so it's been a, some of it's been us a were. while. <laughs> it's been a while. We also have back from the Berlin International Film Festival, Bianca Gardner. Guten Tag. <laughs> <laughs> We also have Casey Lee Clark. Hello. Josh Parm. Hello, hello. And Dan Bear. In like a lion, out like a lamb, everybody. So, uh, this week, we are going to actually uh, hear from Bianca, who's going to talk about her experience at the Berlin International Film Festival. Uh, We're going to talk about what went down at the Caesar Awards this week. Yeah, Uh, we're also going to be talking about uh, some news that dropped this week. Uh, We have some fan questions pertaining to that, so we'll answer those. We're going to talk about the trailers for Candyman and The High Note, and we're going to go over the polls. But first and foremost, I would like to go around and I'd like to ask everyone what they were able to catch up with this week, if they did. Michael, were you able to see anything in the theaters over the last... I'll I'll give you a little bit of leeway here. Let's let's go back a few weeks. Uh, Have you seen anything? (laughs) Yes, <laughs> Anything I at have, all, actually. So, oh, okay. Uh, thank God. <laughs> yes. For those of you who don't know, I was in Israel for about a week and a half, so I didn't see anything while I was there. But since the last time I was on a podcast, I saw three movies in the theaters uh, to varying degrees. The first one was Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I finally caught up with that, <laughs> and I thought it was good. I don't quite, you know, understand all the total hype around it, even though I did like it quite a bit. It was a very well-made movie. I thought. Didn't make my top 10, didn't, you know, register in that regard, but I thought it was uh, very well directed and shot and acted, and it was a very solid movie, I thought. Yeah. Uh, I saw Birds of Prey, which I really could not stand at all. Uh, just Just based on tone, I think it's actually a well-made film. It's just so not a movie for me. Uh, I just, but but be honest, Michael, let me ask you a serious question. Did you want to eat that breakfast sandwich? Well, I don't eat breakfast sandwiches even outside of movies. So my God, oh, no. <laughs> do there's I, no winning with still, you. I wanted that sandwich. <laughs> uh, look, <sighs> if, if you think it's a movie for you, I'm going to encourage you to go see it because it's well done. It's just, yeah, it didn't really register for me. Yeah. But uh, one that's terrible for anyone is a uh, downward, which I found incredibly disappointing. And even though Julie Louis-Dreyfus is pulling her weight uh the movie just falls flat. Even Will Ferrell. Don't you really mean like downhill, it. by the way? Yeah, downhill, yeah. yeah. I was gonna say onward doesn't come out for a few days. <laughs> downhill, that's right. I'm I'm combining movies here. It's been so long. That's how <laughs> memorable this one was. Yes, downhill. That's correct. Uh just not very good. Go see Force Majeure. This was, you know, a blip in the year of twenty twenty cinema. 
Yeah, as I said on our podcast review of that, I think that if you compare downhill to force majeure, force majeure wins every single time, no matter what. But if you've never seen force majeure and this is like your first experience to this story, I could see how you would look upon the movie a little bit more favorably. No? Okay. Yeah, I, I think it is very comparable in quality to Force Majeure, like I said on the review, but it's just, it's very, very American. Yeah. I mean, the Miranda Otto character alone is... Oh, God. I, 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 I still can't. laugh when I think about that accent. I still laugh. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, all right. So, Casey, what about you? Uh, what did you catch up on over the last week or two? Yeah, it's been kind of slow for me at the movies, but on Friday I finally saw Portrait of a Lady on Fire for a second time. I'd seen it back in October at the Philadelphia Film Festival in a haze of seeing so many movies a day that I think I had a headache throughout the majority of it. So it was nice to see it just out of that context, like post the Oscar season. Um, And also I just hadn't seen something in a theater for a little bit, so that was really lovely and it's still as beautiful as ever. And it felt like fitting timing, so. Cool. Awesome. Dan Baer? Um, so I had an interesting week. I uh, Friends of mine have a monthly movie night. And this month, the movie was Central Station from 1988, which I had never seen somehow. And I really loved it. Fernanda Montenegro totally deserved her Oscar nomination that year. Um, I think the score kind of tips it over into uh, schmaltziness, but other than that, it's really, really good. I cried. It was beautiful. Um, nice. I, and then I saw The Invisible Man, uh, the 2020 version, not the original. The original is one of my favorite classic horror movies, and this one was good. I think turning it into a woman in peril thriller is genius. Um, but I don't think it fully works. Oh, there were a number of plot holes in it that I still am like, mm, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. And just like, there's some things that where the tone just, it, I, I feel like it's still like not sure what it's trying to do. And the end uh, I know. Oh, Dan, these are these are criticisms I haven't heard from anyone yet. Actually, I I know it's weird. Like uh, Elizabeth Moss is great. I I just think that the film doesn't it does too much telling and not showing of her relationship with Adrian and of the Adrian character in general. Well, I think that's because if you make it less personal, um, it makes it more universal than for the audience. I I, I can see that. I can see that, but the point is that, like, when we finally see him in the flesh, as it were, it it's it's weird, and it doesn't have the kind of menace I think that they were going for. That's fair. And that scene at the end, yeah. Um, I, I even in that, like, they they could have done a lot more with that scene, and I I, I don't think they went far enough. Um, but that's totally just me. And Elizabeth Moss is bloody fantastic. I mean, what more do you want? And then yesterday, I saw Emma. Oh. Which is just delightful. <laughs> um, I it was, it was nice to see Anya Taylor-Joy finally in a movie that lives up to the last part of her name. Because <laughs> everything else is dark and bleak and depressing as fuck. Um <laughs> 
<laughs> the I just want to talk about like all the food in this movie. Oh yeah. Oh my god! Like I want all those cakes and <laughs> sandwiches and whatever. Like I just wanted to eat all of them, all of them, every single one. Um, and it yeah, it's it's really beautifully de- designed and shot. Um, so many of the shots in it just looked like paintings from that era, which was kind of surprising and I really enjoyed. Um, and uh, Miranda Hart for Best Supporting Actress. Yeah, I could see that, but not going to happen. It's not going to happen, <laughs> but I'm going to push it. <laughs> as much Fair as enough. Can because she's wonderful. Fair enough. She was really wonderful in it. I definitely agree. Yeah. Um, Alrighty, uh, Josh, you're, ne- you're next. What do you got? Well, uh, I did catch up on a couple movies this weekend. Uh, I also saw Emma uh, yesterday, and I I thought it was okay, personally. I think this is one of those movies where the whole is kind of less than the sum of its parts for me. There's a lot of individual elements I like. Like, I like the performances. I think it is very well designed. But I don't know. It just never really added up to an engaging movie for me, and I think the main part of that was I didn't really like the characters all that much and didn't really feel like that they had much growth throughout the film. I kind of got to the end and sort of felt like that was it. Like, did anybody learn anything? I don't know. So it's, it's an okay movie for what it is, but it didn't really win me over as much as I had hoped it did. Yeah, I get that. Especially the first uh, 15 minutes or so I was struggling to, uh, understand like what the driving force of the narrative was for a bit. Yeah, yeah, and it's not a bad movie. It just like at the end of the day, it just didn't really fully win me over, which was a little underwhelming for me. Um, yeah. But the other movie that I saw was I finally saw Beanpole. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, and for those that don't know, this was Russia's submission for the Oscar, uh, the International Feature Oscar last year, which was shortlisted, but didn't get nominated, but it's finally starting to come out into theaters, and I absolutely love this movie. And, you know, what's funny is, for a, like, almost two-hour and 20-minute depressing Russian movie, it actually is not as much of a chore as you think it would be, and it's so... it, It does this really great job of presenting this portrait of very, like, damaged characters just trying to survive in this post-war country. And, you know, it it is bleak, don't get me wrong, but I found it to be just really beautiful in in its depictions, and I absolutely love this movie. And if you have a chance to see it, I think you should check it out. That scene, by the way, all capitals, that scene, um... My jaw was on the floor. Mm. Yeah. I, I like I couldn't believe what I was watching, and then that's where I was like, "Oh, I could see why this movie's getting talked about a lot now." Yeah, <laughs> you know. Also, oh, talking oh, about yeah. a beautifully designed movie, that color palette. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. The red and greens in that film—they just pop out like Freddy Krueger's sweater. It's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> and a very distinct contrast to some sequences later on in the film too where you realize okay we actually do have a filmmaker here (laughs) yeah oh yeah oh yeah definitely and the fact too that that film was made against um uh i I don't know what you would what you would say about this but like the rules of the country if you will um like the subjects and such that are contained within that film are stuff that they're not allowed to actually be expressing through art um I, i find it all to just be incredibly brave and bold and i really really look forward to seeing what he does next yeah well he's like what 
28 years old that director. Oh yeah, he's young. <laughs> Super young. Yeah. Puts so. us all to shame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. Guys, never forget Jennifer Lawrence won that Oscar at age what? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's, that's my new, uh, found years of my thirties speaking right there. (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty. Um, so before we get to, uh, Bianca, who I'm sure has a lot to discuss with us here, um, I'll just really quickly say that I saw Onward, which I really, really enjoyed. I was honestly, I went in with very, very low expectations and I cried by the end. So automatic point higher, uh, for me. And it actually came together, um, in a way that, I wouldn't say it's like um, Pixar masterpiece perfect level, something like Up or Wall-E or Toy Story 3, but I would definitely put it in that uh, second tier level. And considering they have another film coming out this year uh, called Soul, which is supposed to be on paper because Pete Docter is attached to it, they're, you know, that's going to be like, for, for what everyone thinks, is going to be like the quote-unquote masterpiece of the year from Pixar. Uh I, I don't know. I, I could see a world, you guys, where both films could get nominated, potentially, if that film lives up to its expectations. You know what I mean? Yeah, especially since the voting at the Oscars for that category is now open to everyone. You know, they tend to go for the more mainstream. So, yeah, I could definitely see a world where that Yeah, because Onward definitely has the uh, Onward definitely has everything it needs, in my opinion. I, I thought it was a really, really strong movie. By the way, speaking of Soul, which we're going to be talking about uh, in the summer, you know what I just found out about that movie this week? Mm. Tina Fey not only stars in it, but has a writing credit on Soul. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah. I didn't know that. So that might be a potential first nomination there if it turns out to be like an inside out. Justice for Mean Girls. Uh, Mm. And then uh, the other film I saw, which we talked about in the podcast, was The Invisible Man, which I'll admit I was definitely higher on than a lot of people I know. Uh, But that's not to say that it's a bad movie. Or anything like that. I, I just, uh, I, I personally had a very, very deep personal connection to that movie that really, really resonated with me in a way that um, I know it probably has for a lot of people that have seen it. And, um, you know, I, I really do believe it's like the kind of movie that when before you go in to watch it, there should be almost like a, uh, a warning of uh, mm. triggers shall ensue, you know, because it's a, a it's a very effective film in how it explores psychological trauma stemming from uh, abusive relationships. So uh, I, I definitely recommend people check it out. I'm surprised to even be hearing myself saying that because once again, that was a film heading into it. I was a little unsure. My expectations were super low, but uh, they were met uh, on this one and, and, and not only met, but it actually went above and beyond um, my expectations. So uh, podcast review is up on that one. You can check that out. Bianca, Bianca, first time at the Berlin International Film Festival. I'm sure you had a lot uh, that you saw there that not many of us um, have either heard of or maybe we'll even get the chance to see. I don't know. Um, I know you saw some films that I saw back at Sundance. Um, Why don't you take everyone uh, through uh, what the experience and the journey was like for you? Um, Yeah, so... Uh, it was like the first time that I've been on a plane for longer than 40 minutes. So, oh boy, uh, this is yeah, I don't really do flying. So, what did you watch on the plane? Nothing, it was only like a couple of hours on a plane, so I didn't really watch anything. So, I just read ah. some of my book, but um, it was mostly just sort of sitting around, um, holding my partner's hand in like 
fear <laughs> just too many what like movies like flight and you know sully and all that sort of stuff so <laughs> i was constantly worried you just hear denzel washington in the uh, cockpit we're gonna roll with it what <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was just like is that a normal noise is that meant to happen are we meant to oh, shake geez. like that um but no so it was really um like going to berlin was such an ex- amazing experience like the whole city is so fascinating and rich in history and the actual film festival is just in the sort of potsdam platz area so does like real close to, in the center of berlin so you could sort of like walk down one street and you'll just find some interesting museum and sort of like it's so magical in that sense and it was like the the films that I saw um, were really interesting movies. I saw First Cow, which um, I really loved. I thought it was like um, beautifully filmed and captured and the performances are so great in that movie. And I just want to say like the, the actual cow in the film was the MVP of that movie. I mean, that cow was wonderful. <laughs> it's actually my um, um, that's actually my favorite Kelly Reichardt film, and I've gone on record before of saying that like her style is just not my tempo. Uh, to quote Whiplash, because uh, I'm not for usually that kind of slow, deliberate uh, type of pacing that she uses in her storytelling. But with this one. It really, really, it really worked work. for me. Yeah, it worked, really does. It really does. And I think it's such a, a, just like the little moments, you know, you have where the you, you sort of just see like the little girl walking with the, the milk and it's sloshing everywhere. And just just the little details of the, the, the uh, to build the characters up. Um, everything feels like not a single frame is wasted. Uh, even though it is such a slow film, but it all feels like it's necessary and it's not just there to pad it out. Um, so that was a real highlight. Um, I also saw The Assistant, um, the Kitty Green film, which blew me away. Um, that was such a great movie. I mean, so good. It, it was, and coming off of the heels of yeah. the news of Harvey Weinstein's uh, conviction this week, I'm sure it must have resonated uh, quite powerfully. I know. And it was interesting because I, I feel like it's like a horror movie, like the same tension that yes. I get watching it is the same that I sort of experience and why watching just a regular horror film. That scene with um, uh, Julia Gardner and Tom, uh, uh, Tom, <laughs> I'm thinking of Succession, <laughs> Matthew uh, McFadden <laughs> uh, is one of my favorite scenes of the year so far, just in how um well written it is and the yeah. subtext of everything that is being said and how well the uh, actors uh perform it. it it's quite devastating it is and it's a it's a film that leaves you just sort of numb by the end of it um but i i and then i saw um never rarely sometimes always oh, oh yeah uh, it's kind the silver, of like, uh, which, by the way, is the Silver Bear uh, Grand yeah, Jury Prize winner of the wow. entire festival. It's so good. And that was like, again, another film that has such a powerful scene in it, which oh my not give yeah. anything away. But oh my, 
my goodness, like the the just that one scene is just That's her first performance ever. It's amazing. Yeah, it's insane. She's going to win like every breakthrough award this year. I I can see it now. <laughs> I really hope so. Um so that was another highlight. And then I also caught uh, another movie, which I really, really liked. Uh, I thought it was actually going to be a documentary, but it turned out to be a fiction film based on true events. It's um, called One of These Days. And um, the film is sort of set in this Texas town where it's about these people entering a competition to keep their hand on a car for the longest time. And the last person standing with their hand on the car is the winner. Uh, so it's all centered around that premise and this competition, uh, but it's so much more than that. And the car becomes this representation of like the unachievable American dream. And uh, it's by a, a German director. Uh, I think it's like his second film. Um, so it really sort of blew me away as in terms of how powerful that movie is. And I really want to try and find out if I can get in contact with the director so I can pick his brains about it because I've got so many questions to ask about that movie and then uh, another film I just want to quickly mention is um, The Woman Who Ran um, which I believe is a South Korean movie and it was really funny um, it was sort of just about the, it, not much happens, it's just about these this woman going to visit her friends and just sort of she's first time she's been apart since her since getting married to her husband so they've never spent a day apart for for about five years um Mm. i personally wouldn't be able to do that like i need my (laughs) space Um, but it was a really really funny film i wasn't expecting much going in but like the whole uh theater was laughing so it was a really great experience but overall i have to actually ask you in regards to that Mm. uh since you know we're talking south korea here uh did you get like um any kind of uh vibe at all from people at the festival talking around about in the wake of like parasites uh success about if there would be like any kind of a break film at the festival and if so like did you feel like you saw something that has a potential to cross over with american audiences um i suppose i I would say potentially maybe the woman who ran might but the only problem with that movie is it's very small and Mm. it doesn't have the sort of grandness that parasite would have but i think there's definitely now a, a keener interest um, in people to seek, um, you know, films from from South Korea, and the I hope like now people will go back and visit films that are from from the past, not just current releases from South Korea, because they've got a fantastic film industry with so many so many classics, mm-hmm. um, and mm. I I I really would encourage people just to go out and have a look. Um, I just want to mention like. Uh, one of my favorite films is called My Sassy Girl, and that's a South Korean rom rom com. And I don't do romantic comedies um, from <laughs> 2001, and it's just amazing. Um, but yeah, I, I just would like to say like Berlin is such a, a great festival, and even though I got lost trying to find my way there, I'm glad that I got there because the trust me, like those long German names the train stations it gets all very confusing (laughs) (laughs) everything's got like uh, so many s's in it and you just get off (laughs) and you don't know where you are and it's like wandering around with google maps so um 
but yeah no definitely want to go back cool maybe maybe do venice next who knows i would love to have you go to venice because i personally cannot go to venice and as a result of that i i i yes yes (laughs) yes we will find a way to get you to venice (laughs) i feel like uh, i'm yeah got to represent europe even though brexit has happened (laughs) yeah i know that um I'll, I'll be honest. I don't, th- I don't think any of us are going to go to Cannes this year, uh, but um, I'll put it out there right now. If anybody that's listening uh, is going to Cannes and they would like to get in touch with me, uh, please let me know. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. Uh, with that said, I'd like to just transition over and just remind people that as of uh, last week, uh, we opened up the blog over at nextbestpicture.com. So um, you'll see on the uh, main page that you can now submit a pitch over to us for something you want to write. Um, it's not for film reviews. Um, we're not accepting any kind of a reoccurring uh, column or anything like that. But if you have something that you want to uh, you know, pitch over to us as like a one-time thing, um, all I'm asking is that it has relevance to something, whether it's a film release or maybe an anniversary or just like some sort of relevance. I had a lot of people reach out to me that wanted to write about uh, Christopher Nolan's Tenet. And I'm like, can you like write back in a few months? Like, seriously, <laughs> I'm like, it's not now's not the right time. But um yeah, I mean, we're, we're doing this to try and help uh, young and aspiring writers that want to get their start somewhere and just have a platform to be able to get their work seen. So uh, definitely keep that in mind. All right, so moving on now. Uh, first trailer we're going to talk about today is called The High Note, starring Tracy Ellis Ross, Dakota Johnson, Kelvin Harrison Jr., Ice Cube, and also um, directed by Nisha Ganatra, who uh, previously directed last year Late Night, uh, which is funny because while watching the trailer for the high note, I audibly said out loud, this is reminding me a lot of Late Night. So <laughs> let's take a look at the trailer for this one and let's give some thoughts. Where are we? Detroit. I can't hear you, Maggie. Detroit. I can't hear you, Detroit. I grew up around music. It's my whole world. Got one more song for y'all tonight. If you told 12-year-old me that one day I'd be working for Grace Davis, she's an icon. This woman doesn't even know your last name. She does, sometimes. I'm not gonna tell you guys you're great if you're not great. Do it again. Damn, the girl still give me goosebumps. Well, Grace, have you thought any more about the Vegas residency? Actually, I think it's time I record a new album. I mean, that's one plan. What am I supposed to say to her? I'm just a personal assistant, but I'd love to produce your music. Do not sell yourself short. You studied composing, Maggie. There hasn't been a new Grace Davis record in a decade, and the fans want one. I'm the manager. Let me do my job, and you do yours, which is get her coffee, Kleenex, Kotex, and whatever else the hell we've been paying you to do for the last six months. I've been here for three years. You get paid? I thought you were an intern. My life is a joke! 
It's really bleak out there for middle-aged singers. In the history of music, only five women over 40 have ever had a number one hit, and only one of them was black. I've been feeling... I know everyone is happy with me doing the same show every night. What if there's something more? Grace, you are the song. You should not be buried under all this flashy garbage. I didn't want to tell you or Jack, but I did a cut of your song. Hey, hey, I can hear y'all. Y'all know it's a damn microphone in there, right? All we got to do is play it safe and stack some money. I will decide what I do next. We've been over this. We are not a drive-through. Well, it should be. It could be. Oh my God, is that Grace Davis? No. Tracy Ellis Ross in the role. She was literally born yeah. to play. <laughs> yeah, I really, I'm really like, like the idea of like playing into like people's real life background and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So like the idea of Diana Ross's daughter playing like a mega, um, pop diva. Like I, I really like that concept. It, it makes me incredibly happy to see her receiving a role um, like this, actually, where, I mean, she is front and center and is essentially the lead. Obviously, Dakota Johnson has a following, which will certainly help, I'm sure, uh, with getting more eyeballs onto this film. But I, I can't, I, like, I got to tell you, just, just seeing Tracy Ellis Ross in the lead. Um, and front and center in this trailer like this, uh, it, it just gave me all of the great feels that I wanted, uh, essentially. Um, hell, even Ice Cube, who I don't really, you know, I don't really take him seriously as an actor, but, you know, he looks like he's well cast in this uh, type of role here. It looks like he's playing the, um, I guess, the producer. He's like the manager, I think, or something. Manager, there you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, something exactly. in that type of role. Sure, sure. This trailer did need a little bit more Kelvin Harrison Jr., though, gotta mm -hmm. say. Yeah. Yes, there was hardly any of them in it. You can say that about every trailer. <laughs> <laughs> but it looks like it's got good production value. It looks fun. It doesn't look like it's going to, you know, change the world or set the world on fire necessarily. But um, just like, you know, for example, like Late Night was last year where it's this light, unassuming, um, just nice, positive film about... Uh, I guess you would say an aging uh, star slash professional who uh, works with a, a new. Uh, I don't know, like what is she? She's a, she's a personal assistant in this movie, right? Yeah, yeah, the personal yeah. assistant yeah. with a songwriting background. That's like, yeah. yeah, and they're 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 gonna help each other. You know, we we know how this story goes. Yeah. <laughs> Although, like, I'm already looking forward to the entire movie being about how Dakota Johnson's character is like, you know, she got her degree in composing and she's an incredible musical talent, and the song is some bland as very <laughs> top forty bullshit. <laughs> yeah, that that's like in late night with the joke, the so-called the controversial joke that they had that was just so timid and tame and didn't seem like it would cause anything to happen. You know, maybe mm -hmm. it's like a trend with this director. Except that whole movie wasn't leading up to that. <laughs> so, I mean, in regards to that, though, May release date here, Focus Features. Um, we could be looking at an original song contender, maybe. Maybe. You never know. Uh, the other thing, too, to also uh, point out about this is uh, we have a supporting cast of um, Bill Pullman, Eddie Izzard, uh, Diplo is in this. And uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, hey, listen, I'm just saying, like, these are the names, you know. Uh, 
<laughs> and listen, at the end of the day, I, I thought that the trailer was effective, even though it looks a little predictable. And most and first and foremost, Tracy Ellis Ross. That's that's all that's all that needs to be said. Yeah. I think. yeah. I mean, it doesn't look like you it's a movie that you go in with high expectations just to have a good time. And that's certainly what the trailer looked like. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do we know if Diane Warren wrote any of these songs? Do we? Oh, boy. It seems like her thing. So that's why. Oh, boy. Okay, so moving on from that, uh, polls last week. Man, last week's show with polls, man, that was an all-timer right there. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. We basically went through a a list of all the uh, Oscar winners over the last decade, and we announced what the community voted on as uh, the best of the best. And, I mean, it was our most successful uh, poll that we've ever run. Uh, we had literally 3,500 votes in for those. It was pretty insane. Um, this week, we don't have 3,500 votes, but that's okay. You know, we still have got some votes. And uh, last week for Emma, we were asking everyone, which is their favorite Jane Austen adaptation? And the results are in. We do have some write-ins over here. Okay. Okay. So... In the, uh, wait, let's see how many there are here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay. So in number seven, uh, we have Mansfield Park, which I honestly thought would place a little higher, but that's okay. Not enough people have seen it, unfortunately, because it's really lovely. Yeah. Number uh, six is Emma, starring Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, Number five is Emma... With a dot on the end, starring Anya Taylor-Joy. Emma, period. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and that's on period. <laughs> uh, number four is Love and Friendship, Wit Stillman, starring Kate Beckinsale. That's a good one. That's it a is. really funny movie. Number three is Clueless, starring Alicia Love. Silverstone. I really thought Great. that would be number one, though. So yeah. did I, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so for number one and number two, uh, let's do a little uh, prediction time here, Michael. I mean, it, it, you know what the two films are. The question is, which one is it? I think number two is Pride and Prejudice, and number one is Sense and Sensibility. Dan? Yeah, I think it's the other way around. Oh, sorry. It's <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. No, uh, okay, I'll say I think it should be what Michael said, but it's going to be what Casey said. Mm-hmm. Bianca? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm go with Casey. I think it's the other way around. <laughs> Josh? Uh, I am also with Casey on this one. 92 to 57 votes. Oh. Number two is Sense and Sensibility, directed uh, by Ang Lee. And number one is Pride and Prejudice, starring Miss Kira Knightley. Love her. putting money on this. <laughs> yeah. I like Pride and Prejudice a lot. I think that's a very strong Joe Wright film. I haven't seen it in years. I was actually going to watch it on the plane the other day. They had it, but it was cropped, mm-hmm. and it just looks so small mm-hmm. and crummy on the screen. I figured I was going to watch it at home, so I'm definitely That's a planning to make that a priority soon. And now for uh, this week's poll, we are asking everybody their favorite Ben Affleck performance to help us get ready for what could be his comeback role for The Way Back. So for a guy who's had several comebacks in his career... <laughs> Um, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I find it very uh, fascinating that Ben Affleck keeps getting chance after chance after chance. Um, I don't know what it is about the guy. He just has like this really like um, sad puppy dog, broken <laughs> wing demeanor about him that it just makes like people, I guess, want to, 
you know, keep giving him chances to bounce back. And you know what? He has shown, in my opinion, in his defense, he has shown that he can be a decent actor sometimes. I think it's when the screenplay is strong and he's got a really, really good director that he's working with and they know how to play into his strengths. He can deliver the goods. You know, I was going through the list here and I was saying to myself, you know what? He's got, I would say like a mixture of like, 50-50 good roles and bad roles, but the good roles are pretty damn good, you know? Yeah. So, of the list that we have here, uh, and we do have a write-in in in case if, you know, you want to say Pearl Harbor, by all means, go (laughs) off. I don't care. But we have The Accountant, Argo, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, which people do claim he is good in. I, I, okay. They can claim that, sure. Boiler Room. It doesn't make it true. (laughs) Changing Lanes, Chasing Amy, the Company Men, Dazed and Confused, Dogma, Gone Girl, Goodwill Hunting, Hollywoodland, Shakespeare in Love, State of Play, To the Wonder, The Town, and for those that will see it in time to vote, The Way Back. So are we saying favorite performance or favorite movie that he's in? Favorite performance from Ben okay. Affleck. Well, for favorite me, it's no question best? there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think my favorite would have to be Gone Girl. Mm, Me too. Same. Yeah. I think Gone Girl is probably like one of those roles where I I think it's a perfect merger of actor and material. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, well, because that is a not only a good performance from him, but that's a role that specifically kind of taps into the cultural perspective of Ben Affleck and uses it to yeah. both the movie's advantage and his advantage as an actor. So it really is like the perfect marriage of role and an actor i'll be a little bit different and i'll go with the town which i think he was very strong in as well i think he's also quite good in dogma i I, I was gonna say dogma Dogma. i I fucking love him in dogma (laughs) i love that movie too like a lot (laughs) i do like it when he's playing an asshole Has anyone like watched um, Chasing Amy in recent years? Because I don't know how well that film has it aged or not. It does hold up. No. Ugh. no. I, I kind of figured. Which is like really sad because like I really did like it in the 90s. But like you watch it now and it's just so cringy. He's really good in it. But like the movie is so cringy. Yeah, that's why I figured as much. I mean, that's most of the 90s, isn't it? I mean, it it was great back in the day, but now it's all cringe. (laughs) How do you guys think he's going to be in The Way Back, based on what you've seen in the trailer so far? Well, it opens Friday, and we haven't heard anything yet, so... Well, first screenings are are tomorrow, so... I think it's going to be, like, an Argo level, like, he's good, but it's nothing special. And that's the thing with Argo. That's a movie I genuinely love. That's one of my like 20 favorite films of the past decade. And I think it's a phenomenal piece of filmmaking. But his performance there, I should say his BAFTA-nominated performance, is you know unremarkable. It's, you know, he's not doing anything phenomenal as an actor. All of his strength is behind the camera there. I think that that's a case like, um, you know, it reminds me of like Mark Wahlberg in The Fighter, where, you know, the lead character is the one that is you know, holding the story up, but you have the flashier performances and the supporting roles around them, you know? Yeah. yeah. I did read the, um, I think it was New York Times interview that came out with him this past week. Uh, week oh, yeah, that was brutal. About, like, alcoholism yeah. and, like, I, I think that this role could tap into some very personal feelings for him, so maybe it could pull something different than what we've seen from him, maybe a little more nuance 
to it. So even if the story might probably end up being cliched or something that you would expect, I think it could be grounded by that real world element. So I think that if uh, Gavin O'Connor taps into what he was able to do with Miracle and Warrior, um, I I think this is going to be phenomenal then in that case. Yeah, Gavin O'Connor's not a very subtle director by any means, but I think what he's able to do really well is take stories that can be very cliched but still give them a lot of emotional resonance to them. And I think that's a really good path for Ben Affleck, and hopefully he can give a really interesting performance in it. I, I hope so, too, because he's coming off of the heels right now of uh, D. Reese's uh, latest film. <laughs> and, oh, uh, I mean, guys, in all honesty, has anyone watched it even though it's available on Netflix? Uh, I oh, haven't. It's, it's, uh, it, it's also, he's, the idea of him being in it and like the actual significance of his role, I remember leaving it being like, why was Ben Affleck in this? <laughs> it's just a strange role for him. Not even in like that it's that weird. It's just like you don't expect him to take that type of role as far as how much screen time it is. That whole movie is just a mess. <laughs> To put things in perspective a little bit, though, even if this isn't a role that brings him like Oscar attention later on this year, he's also starring in a film called Deep Water, where he's co-starring alongside Anna de Armas, and it's also starring Tracy Letts, Rachel Blanchard, and Lil, uh, Lil Rel Howery, Finn Whit- Whitrock. Um, so that's got a November uh, release date. by Adrian Lin. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. You're right. And then also um, uh, The Last Duel which, you know, has been getting a lot of uh, talk online because, well, it's a Ridley Scott film, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck reuniting as uh, screenwriters, co-writing with Nicole Holofcener. Uh, uh, there's a lot, There's a lot. I think, uh, pushing that one forward in many ways that uh, will be something to look forward to uh, when we get to the end of year as well. So um, we could be looking at a, um, I don't know, we could be looking at a, you know, a, a What's the word I'm looking for here? Like a like a momentum thing, kind of like what Scarlett Johansson had last year with Avengers, Jojo Rabbit, and uh, Marriage Story, kind of like just pushing her forward through the whole year. You know what I mean? But the minute any one of these fails, it's back yeah. back to square one. Although it's going to be funny if we get another like you know root for Ben Affleck because we feel sorry for him when he's already got two Oscars. Like I mean, seriously, yeah. <laughs> that is a good point. Yeah. That is a very good point. I, in, in this instance, I would, I wouldn't, I wasn't talking about the win. I was talking more about just a nomination in all honesty. Cause yeah, I agree with you that if he does get nominated, I'll be like, Hey, you know what? Good for him. Let's give him that nice confidence boost. And you know, hopefully he can, uh, uh, have a more positive life, you know, moving forward. But um, yeah, no, when I'd be like, he's got two already. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> there was a great interview about uh, three years ago, I guess, at this point, back when Casey Affleck was nominated for Manchester by the Sea. He was on Mark Maron's podcast talking just about his childhood and growing up. And it sounds like both of the Affleck brothers, you know, had a really rough time in their childhood and, you know, personal demons that seem to still be with them. And I think you've seen that in the last couple of years so it's interesting to see the ups and downs of uh, you know those two brothers hi guys i'm dean and i'm daniel and we're from the movie journey podcast where we break down every movie from the imdb top 250 list giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way we're also home of the pod v pod where we battle other podcasters in various movie games and drafts we also do reviews of new releases film tournaments top five lists and talk about everything else we've watched as well we used to be the imdb journey podcast but since then we've grown and matured with age. Yeah, if you don't believe us, why don't you listen to some more genuine testimonies? Or, hey, 
hey guys, I, uh, I used to like the IMDb Journey podcast, but since then I've found something even better. It's the Movie Journey podcast. Oi, bro. I know I said the IMDb Journey podcast was a good show, but the Movie Journey podcast is so much better. Absolutely for sure. Yeah. You know, I used to think that nothing could be funnier than IMDb Journey, but I've now found my joy in Movie Journey podcast. The IMDb Journey podcast is nothing compared to the Movie Journey podcast. Absolutely love this podcast. <laughs> oh, amazing oh, testimonies once again. Absolutely legit and real. Of course. And if you still don't believe those testimonies, go ahead and check out the show for yourself by searching for the Movie Journey podcast. You can find us on all your favourite platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and Podbean. So come along and join our journey. Uh, so uh, moving on now from that, um, I want to actually talk about uh, the second trailer for this week. Uh, this is actually a remake of the 1992 horror film Candyman, also also called Candyman. Um, it is directed by Nia uh, DeCosta, who is not Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele is producing everyone. And let's 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 take a look at this one. I I I I genuinely want to get a I genuinely want to hear some thoughts from you guys about this. Candyman. The urban legend is, if you say his name five times while looking in the mirror, he appears in the reflection and kills you. Who would do that? Candyman. 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 Well, we're still alive. <laughs> Let's go. Trina, you broke the door. This isn't funny! I feel really connected to this neighborhood. Cabrini Green. It was the projects. I just moved in around the corner. The old candy factory. I'm an artist. You're looking for candy, man. He's the monster that's part of this neighborhood. Why are you drawn to this? I'm hoping to spread the story all about Candyman. The mirror invites you to summon him. You should say his name. I dare you. Candyman. 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 Don't. Don't say that. Candyman. Mistake. I brought him back. Candyman isn't real! Something's happening to me. He had a purpose for you to be another one of his terrible stories. I guess he found me. I am the writing on the wall. The sweet smell of blood. Look 
<laughs> God, don't do that. Candyman. <laughs> it looks like Get Out and Us. It looks like that type of movie. Well, I think that's the marketing uh, for sure yeah. that they're going for here. I mean, and why not? It's like you said, it's, uh, it, well, like I said, rather, it's produced by Jordan Peele. So uh, why wouldn't you want to go that route, especially after those films made the kind of money that they made? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like it could be a good movie. I'm going to be honest, though. I'm not actually the biggest fan of the original Candyman. I, when I finally saw it, I kind of felt like it was a little overhyped to me. So I do feel like there is room for improvement. And... I don't know. Just judging by this one trailer, it looks like it could be a really interesting, fun horror movie. So I'm I'm down for it. And I misspoke, by the way. It's not a remake. It's a spiritual sequel to the original oh, 1992 film. Ever? No, I, I'm just saying. I'm sh- I know I misspoke. Sequel, so. same difference. I mean, it's like one of those soft reboots where it's like, yeah, because yeah, I think isn't it supposed to be like a sequel to the first movie where they just disregard everything else, but it really is basically like a remake, sort of like what they did with Halloween. It sounds like it. Yeah, I- I'm gonna have to learn how to pronounce uh, this man's uh, name. Y- Yaya Abdul Mateen II, because um, he's right. been in a couple of things now at this point. He's been in uh, Watchmen, he was in Aquaman, and uh, now we, you know he's going to be obviously starring in this. So I mean, I got I got to nail down the pronunciation of his name at some point. Yeah, sure. he was uh, very memorable in Watchmen. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> I think this movie looks impressively well shot. Um, I think it definitely looks like it has some very creative uh, sequences in it that I'm very much looking forward to. And more importantly, I think that um, I'm just I'm just really here to see the rise of Nia DaCosta's uh, career mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. She's 29 years old. Uh, she's from New York. Woo! Represent. <laughs> and because no one is. Yeah. And I was reading an interview the other day where uh, she said the film that got her into filmmaking was Apocalypse Now. And I'm just like, girl, that's my second favorite film of all time. I feel you. <laughs> and, if you know, did everyone here see Little Woods? Uh, no, but I only heard good things. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's yeah. definitely worth checking out. Uh, Tessa Thompson and Lily James were really, really good in it. And um, as far as just like an indie uh, discovery film goes, uh, that was one uh, last year that definitely was um, attention grabbing, I guess you could say. So I definitely think that she is someone to uh, watch for sure. And I, I'm very, very much looking forward to this. It definitely needs some Sammy Davis Jr. in there. Just saying. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> God. Also, too, uh, shout out for the use of Beyonce's music in this. Perfect. Oh my God! Yes, that was brilliant. And not be Destiny's Child, please. Yeah. Not- sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm misspeaking a lot today. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, You're 30 now. This is what happens. Yeah, old age settles in. <laughs> you know who also uh, misspoke uh, this past week? Uh, oh, the Caesar God. Awards when they announced oh. the uh, Best Director Prize. Um, oh, I, li- I liked how you did that then. <laughs> that is a smooth transition right mm. there. So, I, ah, I, uh, man. Um, okay. So, the 45th Caesar Awards uh, took place uh, this past week. And I, I, you know, okay, fine. You know, Les Miserables wins Best Film. I get that. I, I could even see a world where, you know, if it too won director, fine. But 
Portrait of a Lady on Fire is re- has really been like this breakout big hit. And for it to only get, I think it got only cinematography. Only best cinematography, yeah. yeah. It, it just feels like such an incredible slap in the face and i don't know why to this day um the european no offense bianca film industry (laughs) um with festivals like venice um and also uh what we're seeing here with like the caesar awards and stuff why they're continuing to embrace uh roman polanski in this way i just don't i just don't understand it interesting bit of trivia has never lost a caesar are you serious? He has been nominated five times and has won every single time. Jesus Christ. It makes me so angry. That's right. They gave him screenplay, too. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, there. no, there is. I I mean, remember, this is France. This is the home of uh, Cahiers du Cinema. There is a level of auteur worship there that it just goes beyond anywhere else. And they have zero respect for female filmmakers who aren't Agnes Varda. And even then. Mm, well, it took them years to sort of even acknowledge yeah. her, didn't it? Yeah, so exactly. It's just, yeah. I, 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 I'm lost for words, really. I mean, when I, I thought it was like some sort of a prank or like some, you know, like some real bad joke. It didn't really like register with me. And I was like, he's got a new film out. What's he even doing? Like, who, why is he still, like, with Wood, you know, like the whole Woody Allen thing? Why are they still getting chance to. Who's funding these movies? (laughs) So, sorry, I'm trying hard. No, no, that's why we're, that's why we're talking about it here. I will just say for the record that, um, We've never reviewed a Roman Polanski film on the uh, podcast or on the website before. Um, and I I guess, like, for example, if we ever did something like Rosemary's Baby or Chinatown, um, uh, maybe I can make an exception depending on the circumstances surrounding it. But, I mean, in all honesty, I just don't – personally, I, I just don't want to give this guy any credit at this like he made some good films there's no denying that no one will ever be able to take that away uh but i really don't want to give this guy a, a platform any more than he's already received at this point i just i just don't yeah, his legacy doesn't stop at 1978 you know it, you have to look at the complete picture of a person and it, it is very disappointing that even in today's age in 2020 that we still have these groups out there that you know, want to revere him and want to shower praises on him. And I guess what makes it even worse is that, like, I haven't seen the movie, but from my understanding is that it's not even very good. So it's like, it's almost, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not like a a piano situation where maybe in your mind doing gymnastics, like, well, that's an incredible movie on its own, so you can try to justify it. But my understanding is that the movie he went for is sort of just mediocre. So it feels like a very pointed decision to lift up him at this particular time with this particular audience. And it is not a good look at all. No, no. I mean, I just add that he didn't attend the actual um, awards night. So he wasn't there in person. Mm. I mean, mean, did you see what was going on in the streets afterwards? The guy probably would have been mobbed, you know, by everybody. I'm sure play though. I'm, 
Well, the French mm-hmm. film industry, I think, really lets women down. I think that the protesters outside, on the other hand... Uh, well, I mean, the protesters inside. Yeah, yeah no, that's my favorite like- story. Like, the entire portion of a lady on fire crew and lots of other women got up and left when they oh, announced... Oh, the host left. I love it so much. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, so, like, nobody was left there. It was just, like, a com- <laughs> completely empty room. That would have been great, but... Yeah. I mean, what was... um. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Uh, Adele uh, Hanel. Hanel. Yeah. Uh, she was like saying, uh, shame, uh, oh, you know. Said, Bravo, le pedophilie. Yes. So, like, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> just no fucks given. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was great. I mean, because if you take a stand like that and you. In in such a pronounced way, more people will follow. It takes it takes somebody to have that initial spark to be able to do that to encourage others to come forward, and so uh, I'm very very uh, proud that they did such a brave thing like that uh, because it could jeopardize their careers by doing something like that. But at the end of the day, what's right is right, and I I agree. It's not like this film was. praised masterpiece with like over 95% on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever it might be. Like this film has like low 70s and by all accounts, it's just fine, (laughs) you know? So I I definitely think that there is a statement that was uh, being made here for sure. Especially like I said, when you have Les Miserables and Portrait of Lady on Fire, uh, both in the mix uh, for that category, I, I just don't understand why you would default back to this i just don't get it uh, on a more positive note uh i lost my body one best original music uh, and that's all i'm going to say about that. <laughs> i'm just happy that that film got a shout out from someone somewhere because that score by dan levy is pretty incredible okay uh so now uh fan questions for this week let's see what we got going on here uh we talked about this earlier uh briefly for a brief moment there any thoughts or anticipation for ridley scott's next movie to last duel what do you guys think of the cast this is from darf uh nawaf i mean like most i'll follow adam driver anywhere so (laughs) (laughs) i I agree michael nicole is definitely uh one to keep an eye on there especially if she's attached to the screenplay i agree yeah ridley scott though like man (laughs) You don't know. Yeah. You never know. Gonna you never know. So it's like it's a coin flip as to whether or not it's going to be good or bad. So you just have to hope. I I still to this day, I still love Ridley Scott. I, I think he's an amazing interviewer uh, because of just how candid he is about everything. Yeah. It's just, it, it, you know, did you guys see uh, the other day where um, I, there was a clip going around uh, of somebody asking him if you could uh, remake Alien with like modern technology, how would you do it? And his reply was, I wouldn't. It's a perfect movie on its own. I mean, <laughs> like, he's right. It is a perfect movie. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, Jeffrey Kerr, speaking of uh, workmanlike directors, asks, uh, what are your thoughts on James Mangold potentially taking over for Steven Spielberg as the director of the fifth Indiana Jones film? I'm brilliant, brilliant move. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I hope it's true. Well, anything's got to be better than CGI monkeys, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, it's not even just that Mangold's coming in, and he's a great choice, don't get me wrong, but it's the fact that Spielberg felt that it was time to hand this off to someone else so that he could focus more on the projects he really wants to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the last couple of years of Spielberg's career, you know, 
even with stuff like BFG and Ready Player One, which are both fine, you look at more like the Lincolns and the Bridge of Spies and the Post, and he's doing phenomenal, phenomenal work. So if he could focus more in that realm, I'd say, you know, everybody could win. Yeah, he's doing work that really uh, means something to him and something that he thinks will have a positive impact on the world, which I, I... Uh, you know, if he wants to make those kinds of movies instead of the uh, the quote unquote entertainment films, which he does sprinkle in, in there still every now and then, things like Ready Player One. But even then, those movies do have a message. I, I'm I'm definitely in favor of this decision for sure. I think James Mangold is a great choice. My only real problem in general with this is why um, everybody feels the need to have a number one. Um, yeah. Maybe because Crystal Skull was not a great note to end on, but. Harrison Ford is getting up there. You know they're going to use de-aging technology to some degree on him, I'm sure. Oh, Lord. I just... Well, well, for like a flashback or something, you know? I mean, I'm convinced that they are going to kill him off in this movie, and what they're going to have a, some kind of replacement Indiana Jones that'll take up the mantle. But you're right. We don't really even need this movie to begin with, but I am actually very intrigued at what James Mangle could bring to this material, and... All due respect to Steven Spielberg, obviously he's a master, he's incredible at what he does, but, you know, let's get a different perspective if this has to happen. It's It has to happen, um, not because there's a story to be told, in my opinion, but simply because Disney bought out Lucasfilm, well, yeah. they did all their stuff with Star Wars, they haven't done anything with this property. They, they have to at some point. <laughs> Otherwise, what did they buy? What did they buy it for? It's going to be like Harrison Ford and Noah Jupe, like the new young Indiana Jones. Noah Jupe. Yeah, you have like the little James the James, James Mangold connection there. Maybe he could be like the son of Shia LaBeouf's character from the last no, movie. No. <laughs> They're they going to try to their best to pretend that all movie comes never full circle. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I swear to God, if Shia LaBeouf makes an appearance in this, I will throw up. I, I just like, Aww. I need them to completely. No, it's that nothing against Shia. It, happy though, because it, it's nothing against Shia. I just want them to disregard that movie and pretend like it never existed. <laughs> That's my feeling. Which is my prediction. <laughs> I have yeah. a strange affection for that movie. This one comes from Isaiah Washington. Ooh, okay. What screenwriter slash director team up uh, that have not collaborated together yet would you like to see? work together hmm. screenwriter director yes i would like paul feig to direct tina fey's next movie oh my god yes oh wow i would like to see <laughs> oh god <laughs> i would like to see ridley scott work with aaron sorkin <laughs> 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 I'm sure the level of ego in the interviews promoting whatever movie it is that those two would make would be I, I just can't help but feel like there'd be so much shade between the two. Oh yeah. I mean Aaron Sorkin is a really interesting option for many directors because the yeah. thing about it is like there's not too many writers out there that have like just such an a voice of themselves usually you just think of like writer and directors sorkin's one of the few people that you can think of just as a writer who has a strong opinion on his own work so combining that with another filmmaker would always be very interesting i'll be very curious uh, because i know that you know he said he's going to uh retire after his 10th film but i would be very curious if tarantino continued writing a screenplay or two um, after he quote unquote retires, you know what I mean. He he doesn't direct it, but I, I would just be very interested to see if that would ever happen. Well, I don't well, think that Tarantino would be like when the Coen brothers. 
Yeah. Well, I think back to something like True Romance. You know what I mean? Like we could end up with something like that again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree, though. His ego will probably never let it happen. <laughs> and like, I mean, and who I, would direct it anyway? Eh. Eh. I don't know. <laughs> Someone. All right. <laughs> Someone <laughs> or not or no one. The script will just sit there. Undirected. Or he's not going to retire. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh, this question. Luca Gilberti asks, which movie ending from the past decade punched you in the gut so much that you just stared at the screen for a few minutes after the movie was over or at least couldn't concentrate on the rest of your day? <laughs> okay, la, 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 I have three. <laughs> <laughs> okay, La Land's a good choice. Uh, Dan, what, what do you got? Uh, Toy Story three. Okay. Yeah. Um, and th- these other two are literally ones where I like could not move and was stuck in my chair until after the credits finished. Um, was the Florida Project and mm-hmm. Shoplifters? Oh yes. yeah, both yes. great ones. Com- completely agree. I-, I would also want to mention uh, Leave No Trace. Like mm. that's such a uh, emotional film, um, and that ending is just wonderful but heartbreaking at the same time. Yeah, the one for me, I would say, is a ghost story, and I mean, I remember that sensation that you described, Dan, of just sitting in the theater and like just you can't move because of what you just saw. That to yeah. me was the ending of that movie. And it was the mm-hmm. one of the few times I could remember having that sensation of like you physically cannot get out of your seat because of what you just saw. And that would be my pick. Ghost story is a really good choice. Ladybird is another real, big one for me. My real answer is La La Land because that's just perfect and you know everything Casey <laughs> just said just you know Stuns you, but I will say I sat in my car for about 15 minutes after seeing Cats a few months ago. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, didn't want to be. I had to like rethink road, every life to, choice you yeah. made leading up to that moment. <laughs> just had to, you know, decompress before I, you know, went back driving. <laughs> um, Twelve Years a Slave. Oh yeah. Uh, the ending when he sees his family again and the lo- the final shot of them all embracing each other in a hug. Um, I sat in the theater. Uh, during the whole credits, listening to the score, and I just was, I was stunned by that movie. That was a very, extremely overwhelming experience. Uh, Captain Phillips. <gasps> yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God, yes. That's a good one. I'll just say, like, when I, I caught the bus home from the cinema after watching 12 Years a Slave, and I was still crying, and the lady came and she gave me, like, a tissue, and she was genuinely concerned for my well-being. So, not that she's ever going to listen to this podcast, but, you know, uh, thank you for that tissue. It really helped. Uh, what else? Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess this might yeah, I, I, I guess it, not like an emotional uh, crying sense, but um, I stumbled out of the theater um, after Hereditary. Um, I, I was I was clenching, clenching my notebook that I wrote my notes into my chest with both arms, um, like and walking so slowly because I just I was shaking. I was just literally shaking the whole time over uh, how sh- just spooked I was by that movie. Uh, other than that, I can't, yeah, you know, Call Me By Your Name was pretty good, but I, but that was like an experience I was experiencing, obviously, in the theater, yeah. watching Timothy Chalamet's performance at the very end there. So, uh, but that's definitely one. Uh, 
I mean, the final shot of Moonlight still knocks me on my Moonlight. ass. That was the other one that was in my head, too. Yeah, yeah. that look back is just incredible. <laughs> my God. Can you tell you the one that I should have stayed in my seat for? <laughs> what? Uh, gravity. Oh, why? I remember getting up from that the first time I saw it in IMAX 3D and literally feeling like I I like had lost my sea legs like I was oh. stumbling around <laughs> like I could not get my balance. <laughs> uh this one comes from uh that Siam guy 1988. Uh, he asks, top 10 underappreciated movies of the 2010s. Um, we're not going to list the top 10 here because uh, we're simply just not that prepared. Uh, but I'm sure we'll mention something that we feel is underappreciated for sure. He listed some here. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to say what they are, and you guys can feel free to give a little context if you want. Uh, number 10, he says, is Interstellar. Um, I, I, I don't think that that movie is underappreciated, personally speaking. Uh, number nine, no. he says, Rush. Which I do think is underappreciated. Yeah. Mm. Eight is the writer, which I think is probably just because not enough people have seen it. Yeah, that's sort of like one of those borderline yeah. where it's underseen, but those who have seen it tend to yeah, really, really fully love appreciate it. it. Yeah. yeah. Number seven, Southpaw. Mm-hmm. I I don't agree with that, I but I do think that it. Jake Gyllenhaal is really good in it. Remember, he's going to win an Oscar for that. <laughs> <laughs> Number six, uh, This Is Where I Leave You. That movie was terrible. <laughs> hey, that listen, this is this is top ten. Number five, oh, this one I definitely agree with. Number five is About Time. Yes. Number four is Standing Up, which I haven't seen, actually. Uh, number three, oh, hardcore agree on this one. Pop star, Never Stop, Never Stopping. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh good. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Number two, uh, Spring Breakers, uh, which okay. Harmony Corinne, I get it. You know, there are fans out there. I, 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 I can I, I hear that. It's his best movie. I will give it that. Yes, yeah. yes, it is. Uh, number one, Kings of Summer. Oh, yeah. oh, that was a good movie. Yeah. So, again, another one that's kind of underseen. It, it's kind of like it's very much a Sundance movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. But, like, it's good, yeah. So what's, like, an underappreciated film of the 2010s for you? Tully. It was Golden Globe nominated. Tully. So I don't know if it's totally underrated, but I think it deserved a lot more love than it got. And that's from 2011, Young Adult. Oh. Yes! Two two Charlie Steron movies. Okay, there you go. Right, man. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think Young Adult is really appreciated, though, like, again, by those who bothered to see it. Like, I think it's Charlie's his best performance ever. Um, I will forever sing the praises of this movie. And I still maintain to this day that the, the what went down with this movie was part of the narrative as to why uh, his next film got the Oscar attention it deserved. Uh, Kenny Lonergan's Margaret, oh, I think, is goodness. super underappreciated. Yes. If we want to consider it a film of the 2010s, by the way. <laughs> uh, I, I, I do. I go by release. Yeah, well, that is just a stone cold masterpiece right there. So I'm not going to argue with any of that. I'm yeah. also going to throw my hat in the ring for uh, Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria. Oh, oh yeah. 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 I think time will be very kind to that film. I hope so. That's a fucking stunning movie. I would also want to mention Submarine. Um, oh, I love Summer. Oh, I really like that film, and I don't, I don't, I'm surprised that people outside the UK know about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's so fun, and it's a really nice little movie. And 
it's just like for someone who doesn't like romantic comedies i love it and also another british movie which i don't know if it gets enough attention is uh chris morris's uh four Li- four lions oh, oh yes that's so good I love that movie oh my god oh riz Ahmed is amazing in it <laughs> but it's so funny I'm going to say, uh, and I know Will will appreciate this if he listens, which I know he won't, but somebody can tell him for me. Uh, Mississippi Grind with Ryan Reynolds and Ben Mendelsohn. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. That was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Xavier Dolan's Mommy, which I've mentioned before. Uh, yes. Love that movie. So Big good. Fan. So good. Now, one movie that I wanted to mention uh, is Obvious Child. Uh, oh yeah, so I mean, because that's also a movie that I think had the potential to be a lot bigger than it ended up being in the end, which I think is a shame because it's it's so fun and smart and poignant and got great performances and so well written. It, I mean, I really really love that film. I'm still waiting for the uh, Criterion Blu-ray announcement. I hope it's coming someday, uh, but I need to mention Columbus. Yes, I love that movie. Yeah. I think Haley Lou Richardson is one of the best discoveries of the decade, and I think she is amazing in everything that she does. Yeah, plus the cinematography, and that's so good. He's got another uh, movie coming out this year with her in it. Mm hmm. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Oh, oh, and uh, one last one. The community uh, nominated this for um, our uh, MVP community awards for the uh, 2010s, and I, I do want to mention this one. Uh, the Place Beyond the Pines. Oh, I yeah. I think it's really phenomenal. Good movie. Yes. Yeah. Good movie. I just want to give a quick shout-out to a, a Richard Linklater movie that I know people have loved, Boyhood and you know, the before series, but one that sort of fell through the cracks this past decade was Bernie. About, <gasps> oh, about, the, so about the murderer, good. not the candidate. Don't worry, it's about you know, <laughs> Jack Black. So good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that was really good. Shirley MacLaine, uh, Jack Black, of course, Matthew McConaughey. That's terrific. And for the theater fans out there who may not have seen this documentary from 2016, uh, Dan Casey, I highly encourage you to check this out if you haven't. Best worst thing that ever could have happened. Love oh, it. Yeah. And just a beautiful movie overall, not just a fun Broadway doc, but it's just about, you know, people and community and coming together and it's beautiful beautiful uh keeping up with some decade questions here scott kernan asked uh this decade which directors do you oh no this decade as in like uh this upcoming decade okay which director do you think will finally either win a directing oscar or direct a best picture winning film this decade okay who's got like momentum right now <laughs> who's got like the, the credibility to, oh greta gerwig yeah, yeah. greta gerwig oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, I was just gonna yeah. say, can it be a woman? That would be nice. <laughs> yeah, because I was also gonna say Mariel Heller. Uh, it's got, you know, I talked a lot about this last year about how um, someone like Bong Joon Ho, Guillermo del Toro, like they build up uh, a credibility, if you will, with the films that they make, and there's like a momentum that starts to just, you know, kind of build up. I, I also think someone like Ryan Coogler. Uh, could be yeah. heading for that as well. You got to look at like the track record and, you know, say to yourself, okay, who's going to get there? Um, uh, like, like an example, and this goes to like acting, I guess, but like, I can pretty much guarantee that like Amy Adams and Jake Gyllenhaal will get theirs uh, this next decade, I'm sure. And Bradley Cooper. Yeah, Bradley, I think, is probably heading there, I think, maybe even this year, if or next year, rather. Although at this point, he might actually be winning be. for producing. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if this will be for picture or director or writing, but I think he's going to win mm-hmm. in some capacity over the next couple of years, and that's uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Yes. Oh, I think that that's going to happen at some point. Please, yeah. Please. yeah. That seems poised for a writing award to happen. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, you know who's another person that I feel like has like a degree of momentum? Uh, Jeff Nichols. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think he needs a little boost. He's been relatively quiet. Yeah. What about I? You know. I know that they don't make movies up the Academy's wheelhouse, but, like, what do we think about someone like uh, a Christopher Nolan or a Denny Villeneuve, you know? Do we think that that would ever happen, or are they too um, mainstream for something like that to happen? I think Denny oh, Villeneuve right could. Yeah. Yeah. Under the right circumstances. Yeah. yeah. I feel like they need to do um, – they would need to do something uh, that has a degree of – like, I feel like Dunkirk came kind of close to this, but they need to do something on the level of something like what James Cameron did with yeah. Titanic, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't know if Nolan is that type of director, though. The, the only thing with Nolan is that he doesn't really, like, play the game very well. And, right. I mean, sometimes you lose Oscars just for political reasons, too. And I I worry that Nolan, even if he makes something that seems like it would appeal to, to the Academy very much, that there will still be a sentiment to treat him very coldly. I think Nolan will probably win a writing Oscar at some point. Yeah, I mean, if it hadn't been for the King's Speech, he probably would have won for Inception. Should have won for Memento. I agree. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I mean, he should have multiple Oscars, in my opinion, but, you know, yeah. that's just me. If people are willing to forgive and maybe move on, I know this director has something coming out either this year or next year, and that is David O. Russell. Yeah, I don't know, because it felt like that that was going to happen, and then... Joy came out, and obviously, uh, in the wake of the Me Too movement and everything else, I do think that anything he does now is going to be met with a lot of harsh criticism, one way or another. Mm-hmm. So, I I don't know. I genuinely don't I'll know. I'll say approach with caution, but a possibility. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Let's just hope it's not Roman Polanski, you know? <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs> you never know. Stranger things have happened. Phase on C asks With the Invisible Man getting rave reviews, it looks like the horror genre's recent resurgence is here to stay. Okay. Do you think the uh, Academy will finally cave in and start recognizing great performances like Elizabeth Moss this year? You know, I I brought this up on the podcast the other day. It is incredibly disheartening that we did just go through two years of uh, Tony Collette and Lupita Nyongo back to back. And I. I don't want to be a pessimist and say that it's not going to happen, but if it can't happen with those two, what could it happen with? I mean, honestly, it needs to be not a horror movie. Like, it like it needs to be something like The Exorcist that can be seen as a drama, or it's the Lambs. Yeah, it needs to be a one massive like blockbuster hit, like and Us came close, but it wasn't quite. And it also needs to be like something that they can say, oh, well, it, it has horror elements, but it's not really horror enough to like, like get out. Yeah. Yeah. Or even just Which, like but, having like that quote unquote prestige release date of like something more in that November, December realm, I think, you know, to be right in the conversation and not be like, you know, with the exception of get out. And even then, like, that was more looked at from the writing and directing standpoint, even though, yeah, Kaluuya got nominated. I think that right. something needs to be fresh in people's brains to be, I think, taken more seriously if, to overcome multiple hurdles, I think. And I think, like, the the campaign needs to be really strong. I just feel like, you know, that it's we point out these great performances, but it needs, like, people actually behind the scenes working to campaign you know campaign and get it just never feels like there's anyone pushing 
for these horror films to be recognized. So, it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I think it's, yeah. it's rough too because, like, we're, I mean, people do seem to forget that Daniel Kaluuya managed an Oscar nomination for Get Out. I think it's yeah. this may be another, like, specifically female issue, like, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that's not the type of performances they want from women in to get nominated, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I think that there is something a little disturbing about that when you can have a very quote unquote horrific performance from someone like Brie Larson in a room mm-hmm. that deals with sexual abuse, but the horror genre is for some reason completely disregarded. Um, I don't like a connection like that. I, well, but it's it's there, you know. And I think speaking to like the prestige thing, it really I think comes down to a movie needing to be viewed as a contender in more than just an acting category. And I because it's so easy that if it's all concentrated in one category, if it doesn't happen, then you just write the whole film off entirely. But if you have it being campaigned in in other places, I think that helps to keep that movie in the mm. minds of people more. And I think that's the big problem with movies like Hereditary and Us. It was just about that one performance, whereas Get Out, you know, Best Picture, Director, Writing Award. And I think that is kind of the focus that people need to approach yeah. these movies, that it's not just about signaling this one performance. It's about looking at the film as uh, entirety, which includes this performance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also want to just uh, shout out Emily Blunt, who came very, very close oh, yeah. uh, for A yeah. Quiet Place. But, alas. Alrighty, that'll do it for this week here. Uh, Michael, great to have you back. Thank you. And tell everyone who's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Bianca? Uh, yeah, you can find me over at Twitter at the film B, and also head over to In Their Own League um, because we're celebrating Women's History Month by looking at uh, women from silent film. Nice. Love it. Casey? You can find me on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark. Dan Bear? You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. And Josh Parham? I'm on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 183 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us, including we're going to be doing uh, throwback reviews this month to get us ready for Mulan. We will be revisiting the 1998 Mulan from Disney. And for A Quiet Place 2, starring Emily Blunt, Killian Murphy, we're taking a look at another post-apocalyptic Killian Murphy uh, film, and with uh, maybe some sort of ties to something called coronavirus right now, called 28 Days Later. <laughs> so be on the lookout for those reviews from nextbestpicture.com. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.